what up what up folks what's going on this is my third attempt at recording the intro for this fucking podcast because i just keep mumbling and stumbling all over it more so than usual uh okay welcome to episode number 49 of the sponsor day podcast i'm your host tony ortiz thank you very much for listening in this episode i speak about ufc 199 which was one of the unexpected best cards that I've seen in a while. And a couple of documentaries and a movie that I've recently seen, which are Citizen Four, which is the biographical documentary about NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden, and when he first reached out to and met journalist Glenn Greenwald, which is who he entrusted with uh, his whistleblown information. Uh, The next one is Where to Invade Next, a documentary by Michael Moore, where he, quote, invades other countries to steal their good ideas in relation to health, education, work, etc., in hopes of bringing them back to America and and having them implemented here. And pretty much highlighting uh, lofty ideas that work elsewhere. And, um, you know, why are we not doing them here at home? Like universal health care for real and a bunch of other stuff that I'll get into later. The movie that I saw is The Martian with Matt Damon, where he plays an astronaut that is accidentally stranded on Mars. Yes, the planet. And has to try to survive with limited food and resources. So if you guys haven't seen that movie or those documentaries and are worried about uh like spoilers or anything like that um then this probably won't be the episode for you i can't foresee anything i'm gonna you know like quote-unquote spoil but um whatever the conversation just flows so uh skip it if you're worried about that type of shit and what else then i speak about so i'm going to speak about an epic benjamin franklin yes that guy prank where he passed himself off as a mid-aged widow then the type of trouble he gets into thereafter and lastly i just finished uh reading a book or listening to a book rather on audible shout out to audible um which the books are free by the way all those all those um you know audible is a popular podcast sponsor audible reach out to me you should sponsor the sponsor today podcast but um they are a podcast sponsor and a lot of popular podcasts have them as a sponsor and they're you know what you get when you sign up at audible which i think you get if you sign up directly but if you use like one of the promo codes of like one of the podcasts then instead of getting one free book you get two free books um and it's true it's like no bullshit no strings attached um you can allegedly sign up with a couple different amazon accounts and get a couple free books and also i've heard that when you do cancel the free trial period Within the 30 days, they offer you the same, instead of paying, I think, after the trial period, it's like nine ninety nine a month. Um, they offer you, I think, 
two months at 9.99 so you get it like half price and then you say no to that and then they offer it to you for 99 cents a month for like six months or something like that and they give you another free book on top of that so on top of the two that you get free for signing up you get a third one if you do that or so i've heard anyway one of the books i recently listened to is mindset by a phd psychologist and um professor at stanford and one of the leading researchers in uh, motivation, Carol Dweck, Dr. Carol Dweck. And I'm going to be speaking about that as well. All right, so UFC 199 was a really dope card. And I called it a a uh, like a surprising, surprisingly good card, I guess because it i don't know there weren't really too many fights that i was like looking forward to uh on there uh the main one that i was looking forward to and the only one really was uh cruz and faber just because of so much i i really like dominic cruz and so much uh built up animosity between the two over years and this is like the rubber match you know one of them won one uh, their first matchup, the other one won the other one. Uh, Dominic Cruz was like out of the game for four years, I think. In four years, he only fought twice, two or three times because he was hurt, but he was a champion and he never really lost his belt. And um, just Faber's whole camp uh, from TJ uh, Dillashaw, who was a champ, <clears throat> excuse me, that Dominic Cruz, um, when he came back, he beat and won his um, title back, which he never really lost again. Um, and then the falling out between DJ uh, TJ Dillashaw and uh, Uriah Faber and uh, Team Alpha Male. And the fact that Dominic Cruz has beat a couple of guys from Team Alpha Male and Dominic Cruz camp versus Derek. And it's just like a whole like soap opera type thing that like draws you in between these two. And um, it's been going on for many, many years. And um, like a decade or more, I think. And since they were at WEC um anyway that was the fight that i was looking forward to the most now uh everything else was kind of like whatever and uh, a lot of the fights were surprisingly really good or maybe not surprisingly you know i'm no no fucking aficionado i'm just a fan of watching the fights so um i was very pleasantly surprised with this card and from the prelims i want to say that i saw um uh miller and gossetis bruce leroy uh cole miller and alex gossetis and if this is the one that i'm remembering correctly bruce leroy had a very short uh, he took the fight on short notice, uh, but he dominated it, and he looked really good. I don't remember if it was this fight or the fight before that I saw with Bruce Leroy. Um, but if it was this one, that was dope. But then I missed the rest of the uh, the prelims. I didn't see uh, Clay Guida, which I wanted to see, versus Ortega. And Ortega won. Um, Guida's you know, getting up there in age. How old is he now? Well, at least in... At least, um, and maybe not necessarily well he, i think he is old but for the sport like in terms of like fights and stuff like that he has looking at his record right now what 45 fights under him that's super old 
<laughs> in in fighting years, you know. And uh, but I like uh, Clay Guida and his style, his just like push forward style of fighting, and the fact that I always say that I want to rewatch this fight, um, but I don't want to be let down by going back to it and it not living up to like my memory of it. But I remember a fight between Clay Guida and Diego Sanchez had to be like five, six, seven years ago. That was, as I remember it, one of the best fights I've ever seen. Probably if the best fight that I've ever seen. Um, and yeah, I don't want to ruin that, <laughs> but I should rewatch that fight. Um, anyway, I missed that one. And I saw the Poirier fight, which was good. Poirier looked uh, really good against Bobby Green. And he looked way better than he did versus Connor. And I know he's had a couple fights since then. He's on a bit of a streak. And um, he looked good. He looked good in his fight. Then the Dan Henderson and Hector Lombard fight was sick. That shit was so cool. And so um, just like an epic way to go out. If Dan Henderson does retire, which uh, many people say, including himself, um, in the post-fight interview in the Octagon, uh, said that this is possibly his last fight. Uh, what a way to go out. It was pretty much, he, you know, he's like 45, 46 years old, Dan Henderson. 45, I think, like of age. And has, again, like Clay Guida level number of fights under his belt. And he was going against Hector Lombard, which is just a beast. And Hector Lombard is, is very, very... They both have, obviously... Uh, huge knockout power. Dan Henderson is known for that. Hector Lombard is also known for that. Uh, but Hector Lombard is more known also for, not maybe more known, but he's also very known for gassing out because he's so muscular that he, you know, he, he just gasses out uh, quickly, usually after the first, the first uh, round. And in the first round, he clips Dan Henderson hurt some bad he's wailing on him it's he, he the fight is pretty much i thought it was it, it it was about to get stopped and dan henderson kind of like pulled through that like melee from hector lombard got through the fight uh got through that that round got pretty much like saved by the bell kind of got out of it and then saved by the bell like at the same time and then when he came out in the second round he caught hector lombard and just knocked them the fuck out in true Dan Henderson style. And it was the first time that his entire family was there, his wife, his kids. Uh, I think he has like three or four kids. And um, they were there to like witness that. And he came back in that spectacular fashion, won in a knockout where he was the underdog, if I'm not mistaken. And um, what a way to go out if he does choose to go out that way he absolutely should and he's you know a pioneer of the sport he's been there from like the beginning of it when uh ufc was not what it is today an absolute hall of famer right there and then you have holloway and llamas and um max holloway is sick he is uh, ranked right now number three in the division. 
He's been on a nine-fight winning streak, and his last loss, and he only has three all-time, but his last loss was against Conor McGregor, and this was back in 2013 before the huge, you know, like Conor McGregor hype train started. And since then, he's had a nine-fight win streak and uh, just wins in, like, spectacular KO fashion or submissions uh, or just puts on very entertaining fights, which this one absolutely was. He, at the very end, he, it was, uh, I, th- I want to say he won every round. I don't, I could be completely wrong though, but in terms of, like, I didn't say like the judges like scorecards or anything like that, but in terms of like what I saw, it was like a back and forth, like slugfest type of fight, but he was like dominating. Um, like if it was a unanimous decision, actually, let me check. I got this shit open right now. Right. Why, why guess? If it was a unanimous decision, I wouldn't be surprised. And let's see. Scroll down. Yeah, unanimous decision. So he dominated every round. And at the end, you know, he has everything to lose. Because, uh, you know, he knows he's ahead in the scorecards. And in the last, I think, like 10 or 15 seconds of the fight, he and... Um, uh, llamas stand, you know, agree. Like you see them have this like interaction in the middle of the octagon. Agree, and this has to be like some fighting shit. Agree to stand their ground, like they point at the ground, like we can't move our feet, type shit. This is like the interpretation that I got from it. Um, plus together with the commentary, obviously, they agree to plant their feet. They're not allowed to to move their feet. And they have to just slug it out for the remaining time until the third um, round bell rings. Both of them agreed to it and just slugged it the fuck out back and forth. For it had to, it was like five or ten seconds to end the fight, and he has everything to lose, but still was down to like scrap like that. And it was it was like just sick to see, like holy shit. Um, as like a fight fan, you find that type of shit entertaining you know what i mean like a complete slugfest like some clay guida fucking diego sanchez type shit then the fight that i was looking forward to the most which was uh dominic cruz and uri faber turned out to be a masterful performance by dominic cruz completely backed up everything um i like dominic cruz a lot because aside from the fact that he he's such like an elusive skill skilled fighter he's kind of like a um i don't know like a stand on his own backup backs up all you know walks the walk and but doesn't talk too much of the talk you know what i mean like he talks the talk when he has to but he's not like that uh uh cocky type but he's the confident type which there's a, a very fine line between those two which i'm going to speak more about in with the next fight um but he's he's definitely a fighter that that I enjoy watching and that I am happy rooting for. And Faber I've always liked, um, always been an entertaining fighter, and a guy that if he was fighting anybody other than Dominic Cruz I would be rooting for. But I'm happy that Cruz uh, came out with the W, and I'm looking forward to 
a possible super fight maybe down the line with with um mighty mouse demetrius johnson which would be dope um because they got to do something between those two divisions but um cruz does have a lot of a lot of um a lot of you know people like waiting in the wings you know another fight against uh tj dillashaw give him a rematch um uh, makes sense also and obviously i'm no ufc fucking matchmaker but uh there's a bunch of fights that you could put on with uh dominic cruz hopefully he just stays healthy and last but not least luke rockhold and michael bisping i'm not upset that luke rockhold lost and this is what i was referring to when i was going when i was uh when i just mentioned the um cocky and confidence thing luke rockhold was cocky as fuck and michael bisping is actually known for being the person that like talks shit he was like the conor mcgregor before conor mcgregor but on obviously like not on that like level and uh, i've always said about conor mcgregor also he's more to me and i don't know exactly how to describe it i could just i don't know like a feeling that i get a, a sense um conor's confident not cocky if that makes sense and i know a lot of people would probably disagree with me on that but um luke rockhold is cocky not confident or overconfident if you will and um i don't know there's like a there's like a condescending demeanor to uh people like that and they just i don't know they rub me the wrong way and it's you know it fucked him over during this fight he completely you know michael bisbing took the fight on 12 weeks notice uh 12 weeks um 12 days notice and because weidman got hurt and um Luke Rockhold fought Michael Bisping once before and beat him. He submitted him in the first round. And he actually, it was like a controversial type victory because he did submit on fair and square, but he also like headbutted the shit out of him to the point where Michael Bisping since has um, like a fucked up eye. He His retina is like detached or some shit. And he has some oil in his eye. Um, and um, it looks kind of like, fucking freaky if you see his eye but his left or right eye or some shit like completely just doesn't work and um he's also one of those guys that he's always been like uh i don't know what his actual official rank was but he's always been like a known guy like a top guy um in his division just never got a title shot though and he recently fought Anderson Silva and beat Anderson Silva, but obviously Anderson Silva is not the same Anderson Silva as he was uh, back in the day. And um, which is one of the biggest, I guess, uh, this is it, this is considered one of the biggest upsets because of the fact that Luke Rockhold is in his prime right now, as opposed to, for example, Anderson Silva when he lost to uh, Chris Weidman. You know, he was, like, at, like, the pinnacle of his prime about, you know, obviously in hindsight you can uh, say now that he was about to start regressing, but he got clipped by Weidman and was never the same ever since. 
And, you know, the second fight, you know, he broke his leg against Weidman, and Weidman won a bunch of fights after that, and then got taken out by Luke Rockhold. And um, Luke Rockhold was supposed to fight Weidman again now in the rematch. Weidman got hurt in camp. Bisming stepped up to the plate with 12 days' notice. As a complete underdog, Rockhold was, uh, you know, being that he's in his prime, and he took out Weidman, who's also in his prime, uh, prior to getting hurt. And was supposed to just, you know, beat Bisbang once before, was supposed to just run through him like nothing. And he acted like it, like he had his chin up in the ring, his hands down. He was, you know, just like Anderson Silva did against against fucking a wide man. And he fucked up. He got clipped. And Michael Bisbang just fucked him up. <laughs> he caught him with the left hook. And he followed that up with a couple other ones, just wailed on him and, and knocked him out. And he is the current champ. And he doesn't feel bad about letting <laughs> Rock Gold know it. And, um, you know, he's the, uh, the type to, I don't know, they have like, like good sportsmanship, I think. Um, like the, the Conor McGregor's and the, like Michael Bisbang's and, you know, the, I guess like other, what I would consider like true champions, uh, cause they congratulate people like when they win and, and, you know, they don't make excuses when they lose and shit like that. Um, uh, whereas I feel like the, the, the cockier condescending types are like, oh no, that was like a fluke victory and, and and do make excuses you know what i mean and i could be completely fucking way off um i don't know any of these motherfuckers personally obviously but um that's just the impressions that i get and that's how i feel about it so that was a pretty dope fucking fucking uh ufc card that was on last weekend last weekend all the weekend before last i'm recording this on june 14th 2016 and this was the fight card from June 4th. All right, so that's pretty much it on UFC stuff. And, oh, actually, one more uh, tidbit, because I, I know this has been spoken about at nauseum for anyone who's into, like, UFC or, or like, Rogan's podcast or the fighter indicator or anything related to uh, UFC. You know the controversy between Ariel Hawani a reporter at the MMA Weekly, and he has the MMA Hour podcast as well. He and the UFC um, were pretty much in the news because Ariel Hawani broke two stories um, prior to the UFC being able to break them, and they had, you know, they planned to to, to release them. So the UFC wound up banning him uh, as a, you know, from like the journalist press corps and accusing him of, of insider trading, I guess, you know, and fucking leaking information prior to when it should have been available to the public. Cause you know, they put money behind marketing and they wanted to announce the fact that Brock Lesnar is going to do a one-time fight. Um, uh, is returning to the UFC for a one-time fight. Uh, against Mark Hunt at UFC 200, and also there was another a bit of news that he leaked before then, and pretty much the UFC kicked him out. 
um, from he was at UFC 199 and at the main event, um, this he uh, they kicked him out pretty much and told him that he can't come back and he they they decredentialized him whatever you call it when you're not allowed to be part of the the uh, like official press corps anymore and like they blocked him on all all the, like the UFC accounts the Dana White's uh, Twitter account and stuff like that they all blocked him and a whole bunch of like that type of shit. And there's obviously two to three sides to every story. And, um, you know, you can listen to the MMA hour with Ariel Hawani and see his, listen to his, uh, heartfelt, uh, side of it where he actually like cried and stuff like that. And speaking about like journalism and how it's his life and, and, um, livelihood and stuff like that, but that he's not going to back down and blah, blah, blah. Um, and the, I guess comments that the UFC has has put forth on why they did what they did, and there's merit on both sides, uh, to be honest, in my opinion. And the decision has since been overturned, and Ariel Hawani is now back in, in uh, you know, able to report on the UFC, and you know, he's in a UFC insider, quote unquote. Um, but that was, I guess related news to UFC 199 and something that I felt was just like a, a fucked up situation, you know, cause on one side you, you, the UFC is a, uh, a private organization. It's not a public company. It's not a, it's not a, uh, uh, NFL, for example, or an NBA. It is a, a private promotion and it's pretty much uh i think in like the fighter and the kid podcast if i'm not mistaken brendan schaub uh mentioned how it's like uh owning a restaurant you know if the owner doesn't want you there you don't you're not there and it's not they don't have to you know give pc reasons for it or against it it just is what it is they have autonomy over that or over it ariel hawani himself also uh, agrees to this he knows that it's a it's a privilege uh to be part of that like ufc core of reporters uh not a right but at the same time stood his ground to the fact that he was true to his uh his journalistic integrity and he did not uh leak stories that were not verified and uh by multiple sources and that was his duty as a journalist to put out information about the sport that he obviously uh loves to cover and there 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 were arguments also uh, about people saying uh to ariel uh like you know if the ufc kind of like cuts you off you know go do other just do other type of sports journalism and i don't know i don't i don't like that that I don't know, mentality, I guess you could call it, or that, that, like, train of thought, I guess, because it's like telling, uh, you know, a, I don't know, brain surgeon that he can no longer practice brain surgery and to go do podiatry, and it's like, you know, they're both doctors, but it's different, you know what I mean, and he obviously has a passion and love for uh, the fight game, and, um, he is one of the, if not the best, he's the only reporter that I know by name and I listen to his podcast and he's super informative. Fighters always, 
um, go on his podcast and give their perspective on things and, and speak about fights. And he does a bunch of the post-fight interviews. And he is the UFC insider, the MMA insider. It would be a shame to 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 have lost his input on the culture, in my opinion. And I said, I uh, tweeted at um, Dana White and Lorenzo, and I'm pretty sure that my tweet is the one that um, made them overturn the decision, along with the other thousands and thousands of people that were probably doing the same thing. But... I tweeted, and this is pretty much how I feel, that if ultimately, if he, and he did it in a credible way, if he released information prior to them releasing the information, which is the only, which is the discrepancy, right? It's not, you know, we you released this information that we never wanted to get out. It, it was, you beat us to the punch and released this information before we could. That's your bad as, you know, company owners and running a company and stuff like that if you don't want something to leak out don't let it leak out you know do you know something's fucked up on your end that allowed that information to get leaked out you can or should be able to um apparently you can't but you should be able to keep shit on the wraps if you want to keep shit on the wraps you want to book Brock Lesnar to a fucking a deal or whatever have three people in the room or four people in the room whatever Dana Wright Lorenzo Brock Lesnar and, and whoever his agent is and that's it and nobody else in the know or you know something like that I mean I'm, I'm sure it gets a little bit more complicated than that but shit gets hairy when you have a shitload of people involved and the more people that you have involved the more people obviously um that can you know, leak information, and that did. But in my opinion, it's ultimately it's one. It's not wrong information. It's not like, like um, felonious shit or anything like that. Um, it's true. It's accurate. It was verified by multiple sources prior to it being released, which is in line with uh, journal- journalistic integrity and like rules you know and everyone that read that and and that has since um you know come to know about uh you know brock lesnar fighting at ufc 200 and the other thing the other news that he quote-unquote leaked out before the ufc did which i think was the fact that uh, nate diaz and conor mcgregor inked the deal um, for a rematch, I, I think UFC 201 or 202. Um, everybody doesn't give a fuck where the information came from. It's, but is happy that those deals are done, and that's ultimately what should matter, I think. And you know, you have to realize, I think, when you are, let's say, from the UFC's perspective and from Ariel's perspective they have like a symbiotic relationship, right? There's no, the UFC obviously could exist without Ariel Hawani and Ariel Hawani could exist without the UFC, but their, Ariel's main content is from the UFC and Ariel Hawani is arguably one of the biggest mouthpiece journalists 
um, journalist that is a mouthpiece for the sport that he's reporting on. And that counts for something too. That counts for a lot in my opinion. Um, but yeah, whatever. I'm glad that he's back with the UFC. And, uh, like I said, you guys can check out his podcast, the MMA hour. If you want to listen to his like three hour explanation on it, where he cries and, and, and it's, uh, like pretty heartfelt stuff. And also, you know, a bunch of like articles and, and stuff like that on the UFC's, uh, you know, quote official, uh, official positions on the matter as well. Next, speaking of journalistic integrity, is Citizen Four, which is the biographical documentary about NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden and when he first met Glenn Greenwald, which was pretty dope. I thought it was like a reenactment type movie type of thing, but it's not. There's, uh, there is a movie like that, but this one is a documentary and, you know, has real footage of of edward snowden and his uh you know they show like the interactions between him and glenn greenwald way before any of this stuff ever ever broke they were recording it from the get-go and their like email exchanges and and like where to meet and stuff like that and they were meeting at a hotel and it's interesting it's interesting to see and Edward Snowden pretty much whistle blew or told on, quote unquote, the NSA and their practices of collecting metadata or pretty much everything and anything that we text or say or whatever on our phones and they store it. And, you know, there's an argument between, you know, it's just metadata. It's not it's not like screenshots of your actual text messages and dick pics and whatever the fuck else you are like into but snowden points out how that metadata pretty much could be broken down into all that information you know what i mean like if you know how to fuck with the algorithms and what have you like i'm not a a tech genius over here but it's pretty much what he is stating um as his position which if i'm not mistaken has been corroborated since then and the documentary goes into that huge facility in utah which has and continues to be built and 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 the most massive supercomputer of the government type of thing where it continues to store everyone every anyone and everyone's metadata it's scary shit and I always refer to, I know I've mentioned this quote like a billion times, but uh, the Benjamin Franklin quote, he who gives up essential liberty for safety deserves neither liberty or safety. And this was all allowed. Basically, the government being able to do this was allowed and passed under the guise of the Patriot Act, which was introduced after 9-11 when everyone's pretty much on board with yeah you know look at everything and anything because we have to make sure we get like all these damn terrorists and it's just been you know people are people they use what they can to their advantage and we have to 
be realistic about the fact that you know our government and our like politicians and you know corporate leaders are not necessarily uh altruistic beings and you know um you know looking out for the best interests of everyone people are people people are corrupt people are could be fucked up there's bad people there's good people there's crazy people and all those different types of people exist in all different facets of our society whether it is the government uh the federal government state governments local governments uh you know corporations and shit like that and you have psychopaths and sociopaths and you know the whole gamut of people are in all these facets and we can't just have this ideological projections of like who's running shit you know what i mean that's why i think people like edward snowden that that took this huge hit of pretty much his his freedom because uh, he's in like russia right now with no extradition um because when he comes here he's gonna get tried for espionage which technically i guess it is but you know because it's like is it any different from hillary clinton and her whole email scandal thing where uh you know if you break it down to its most basic level you have two people hillary clinton edward snowden and both people have access to classified information one of them leaked it out as responsibly as he felt he could through a journalist glenn glenn greenwald who through uh the protections of uh you know uh, uh journalism and doing things right the way he's supposed to and vetting the information and and disseminating it through the proper channels of journalism um edward snowden felt that that was the best way to go with that versus hillary clinton that had again classified information on a computer you know on personal emails which was hacked by some dude in not russia but like i don't know one of those like european russian sounding countries somebody did hack hillary clinton's emails and had access to a shit ton of hacked by a Romanian hacker um, after her breaking the State Department's rules of not having, you know, certain uh, classified emails and shit like that on uh, her personal emails, which uh, at first I thought it was just like a whatever bullshit type of yeah, political like side thing that they're making a big fuss about nothing but um which on some level i guess I, I still feel that way but on another level it's like why is there a different set of rules for her as opposed to snowden you know what i mean when if you compare them directly what she did is worse i think than what snowden did anyway it's an interesting documentary and um another a good takeaway from it was uh, it was pretty cool to see how the the guardian and uh, glenn greenwald uh seeing like that side of it like how they wrote that story how they framed that story and you get to see it from its inception of you know those meetings secret meetings and hotel rooms and shit and um that was an interesting angle to see the situation from the next 
documentary that I saw is Where to Invade Next. Oh, Citizen Four, by the way, is a. I didn't torrent it, if I remember correctly, um, because I don't do that. But it's available either on Netflix or on HBO Go. If you guys want to check it out, the next one that I saw was Where to Invade Next, which is again a documentary, the latest by Michael Moore, which I like Michael Moore and. He gets a lot of shit for being, you know, like uber fucking left wing liberal and for being biased, um, which I don't and I, I guess I, I get the argument. But at the same time, it's like, duh, what else is it, like, what's he going to be? He's going to side with the side that he feels he sides with. He's not going to be, I think, completely objective and like people give him shit for example like if he interviews 10 people and eight of them say no and two of them say yes he'll show the two people that say yes and say you know and not show the ones that say no and say see look everybody says yes like he's criticized for that i don't know of any evidence of that or um but i wouldn't even know how to know of that evidence you know what i mean or how to like prove or disprove that but whatever that's the flack that he gets i enjoy his documentaries they you know take everything with a grain of salt or shit loads of grains of salt gets a big sea salt fucking shaker and and have yourself a fucking a sprinkle of it whenever you get information from anyone including michael moore or anyone else because everybody has their own biases and slants and and opinions right so everything is going through filters before it gets to you and you it's your job to unfilter it as best you could and pick out the fucking gems that you can from it um but it was an entertaining and and interesting documentary where he pretty much he goes to a bunch of different countries he goes to italy to speak about their their like corporate structure and how employees get um two months i think or a month uh paid vacation uh every year mandatory and they their work life is much less stress-free and they interview like ceo of i want to say ferrari but i'm not positive that it was ferrari Uh, but it was some car or motorcycle company and also like a designer like um like a well-known designer as well and they go to their like factories and they interview the workers and how all the workers get to leave at, at 12 for lunch and they come back at two and everybody pretty much goes home and they cook and they meet with their family and then they go back to work at two and then leave work at five and everybody's happier and blah, blah, blah. And he shows like that type of corporate structure as opposed to like our jobs now where we fucking work more, don't have as many like pay days off and and you know paternity leave mandatory paternity leaves which is like something in the works of getting passed which by um if the past is any indication of the future should be passed by like 2028 <laughs> where you get like paid fucking paternity leave like as a mandatory type of thing um and you know it's like a night and day type of difference now obviously Obviously, any any of these, like the biggest criticism is 
you know, certain things work in other countries because they're much less populated or, you know, there's 350 million of us versus Italy's fucking, I don't know, eight people or whatever it is. <laughs> but damn, I'm too, uh, I'm not knowledgeable enough in that realm to know if something like that is scalable to this degree, but can we do that shit like in Queens or something, you know? Um, What else? He also... One of the coolest, and this is something that I think we could do, and it's, or at least take the, might not be able to do it exactly, um, but at least take the premise from it and introduce that into our schools, which is the fact that uh, he goes to this, like, elementary school in France, and at lunch, the like the kids have like a chef that comes out and <laughs> brings the lunch to the table like some first class fucking flying type of shit and um kind of like uh like you know like the staff of the of the school cafeteria bringing out food and it's you know real forks and knives and plates real plates and cups and uh there's no juice there's no soda there's none of that shit fucking filled with sugar shit um, it's just water and it's meals with like portions, like appetizers, salad, uh, cheese at the end. And you know, they're French and like fucking good gourmet looking meals. Like the, that's actually how they framed it. Like they showed like these foods being prepared with fucking garnishes and shit like that. And then, um, they say, you know, what uh, five-star restaurant do you think this is from? Oh, this is from, like, PS108 in fucking France or whatever. And, um, like I said, I don't know how doable, you know, doing some gourmet shit like that is on such a, a larger, much larger scale, even though we waste more money, waste more or spend more money, um, per capita than on education than any of the of these other um countries but anyway the main takeaway that i say that we could implement and i think like immediately is that they say or they said like they interviewed the like chef and the staff there and they were saying that lunchtime isn't a free period they literally it's literally a course that each student takes every day and they teach them about foods and they teach them about nutrition they teach them about sugars and they teach them about balanced meals and sharing and like all that type of shit they literally frame lunchtime into a a class like a mandatory class where they have to learn about food and stuff and it was so sad to see, like, Michael Moore showed them pictures of, of like, uh, common school lunches here. And they showed them, like, you know, like, pizzas and sloppy joes and stuff like that. And if you just look at the kids' faces, you can't make this shit up. They were all, like, in amazement, but, like, sad and grossed out at the same time. And, like, one of them acts like, they eat that? And it was, it's just, like, wow. That's such an interesting like juxtaposition to see and i think that's such a interesting fundamental approach that would pay off in spades i think by just changing the mindset of that 
uh, like how we approach that lunchtime and, you know, teach it as a course and, you know, kill two birds with one stone instead of just throwing kids into a room and, and slopping shit on their their plates like you do for prisoners. Fucking teach them about what they're eating and putting into their bodies. Cause it's fucked up, yo. Like I'm I'm a product of New York City public schools. I can tell you firsthand. I literally until honestly until I started getting like into podcasts and hearing uh, nutritionists and and reading different articles that I was pointed to and and books and stuff like that. Like for a very long time into in a shamefully long time into like adulthood, I can honestly tell you I did not eat vegetables. Like my only vegetables that I would eat was like lettuce and tomatoes on burgers. Like literally, like I'm not saying, oh yeah, I would have a salad like once a month, like literally zero. Um, I would drink zero water, zero, no water whatsoever. Um, and I, and I'm not exaggerating. I'm not holding, I'm not bullshitting. I would, you know, drink juice and soda and stuff like that. And my mentality was, if my body needs water, it'll ask me for water. Duh. And two, it was, you know, fucking iced tea is liquid. So there has to be water in there. So my body's getting whatever water it needs. Cause if not, I would die. And it's, it's fucking sad. And you know what? In a sense, I was right. Cause eventually you do die at fucking in your forties or some shit like that, or fifties from diabetes and heart disease and shit like that. When you continue, continue that type of lifestyle and trend and stuff like that. And you don't, you're not informed about what you're putting into your body. And you're not, not cognizant of it. So I think that would be a dope and interesting, uh, approach. Uh, check that out. I got that on, I don't know if I said this already, but I saw this on YouTube. Actually, um, you could rent or buy movies on YouTube now, uh, which I didn't know. Um, I don't know how long that's been a thing, but I, uh, decided to rent it. It was like three bucks or four bucks and you rent it and you have it for like a month or something like that. And, um, it's pretty dope and I recommend it if you guys want to check it out. Then I saw the movie The Martian with Matt Damon, and it was a pretty good movie. I see now it was it was nominated and I think won a Golden Globe for like best comedy or something like that or comedic work, and a lot of people were like poo pooing that I guess, and um, I laughed. <laughs> I laughed watching that movie. And it was uh, an entertaining movie. It was cool. I like shit about space. Uh, I like Matt Damon. It was funny. It was interesting. It was uh, kind of predictable, um, I guess. Like, throughout the whole thing, you kind of know what's going to happen. Somebody, you know, he, within the first few minutes, is stranded on, on Mars. They showed a bunch or gave away a lot during the previews of how he started planting shit and um, you pretty much piece together fairly quickly that he needs to do that in order to survive and he needs to ration his food and it's just going to show him, uh, doing that for that type of shit for an hour and shit fucking up and then fixing things. And, and then people from earth, earthlings <laughs> going back to save him. Basically I heard, uh, something in a related interview with Elon Musk, which I think I mentioned in the last episode, but 
um, in a related interview where, I mean, obviously you have to suspend disbelief for a bunch of the shit because uh, it's a movie and that's what you do at movies, right? And, uh, but uh, Elon Musk said candidly, but he said that it's about, the movie is about 75 to 80% scientifically accurate and then they take, you know, stretched stretches and liberties with certain things but uh, a lot of it is uh actually scientifically accurate supposedly all right so uh just a couple uh last things to cover before i let you fuckers go and the first one is caitlin jenner before caitlin jenner was benjamin franklin was benjamin franklin the first transgender or cross-dresser in american history i kid um benjamin franklin played this like epic i guess prank you can call it on everyone pretty much and i guess at the time he was 16 years old he didn't know he was gonna you know he was gonna go on to be one of the the founding fathers of the country and um again he was 16 years old but anyway he when he was 16 he had an older brother that was the editor at a newspaper and he wrote uh like a few uh pieces i guess for the paper which was the the current c-o-u-r-a-n-t and he was denied several times and um, his, his brother pretty much wouldn't publish his shit, right? So what he did was, and his brother's name is James Franklin, if you guys want to look it up. Uh, what he did was he created a person known as Mrs. Silence Duguid. And I kind of very vaguely remember, like once I, I heard the name Silence Duguid, I remember... He, like i don't know learning something about this or hearing about this like in social studies in fifth grade or some shit like that but i don't i like didn't remember like the actual details of the story but it kind of rang a bell so here's the story he pretty much his brother had a newspaper didn't want to publish his his shit so he created this pen name mrs silence do good which was a middle-aged uh woman that was widowed and he pretty much slid these notes or these letters under the editor's door. His editor, the editor being his brother. And the brother, uh, James Franklin, wound up publishing it in the paper. And he promised, or she, Silence Duguid, promised um, to deliver letters every uh, every fortnight, which is back in the day talk for every two weeks. And he kept this up, or she kept this up, <laughs> for like six months, and <laughs> doing it every two weeks, and to the point that she became super popular. She got various marriage proposals through the newspaper. People used to write the paper and say that they would marry her because she's been through so much, and that she's a widow, and so she won't be alone, and like stuff like that, and all the while and like she would speak of how i read a couple of the letters there's a total of 14 um 14 of these letters 
and they were first printed in 1722 just to give you just to date it uh for you or said it rather and you know she spoke about things like uh losing her husband and her father how he died and how the mother died uh how the father died like as they were going as they were coming to america for the first time uh her immigrant parents her mother gave birth to her on the ship the father like from excitement uh was like cheering on the ship but then a big wave came and you know he got knocked overboard but he was too far off and drowned and couldn't be saved and then her mother died shortly after they arrived in in america and then she was raised by someone else and that master that she had or 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 guardian or whatever they fell in love with her and then then they wound up dying like a whole like a whole bunch of like sick shit um goes she went on and on for six months pretty much and like captivated the whole readership of the current and eventually <laughs> benjamin franklin's brother found out that it was him his 60 year old little brother that was uh writing all this shit and uh he fucked him up so the story goes and just completely beat benjamin franklin's ass and i just thought that was a funny story to share with you guys and i have a link in the episode notes actually of all of the uh silence do good letters if you guys want to check them out um it's pretty cool it's pretty funny um i read a couple of them like the i think the first two i read completely then i then i like skimmed through the rest of them and it's pretty funny stuff and he was a fucking pretty good writer at 16 yeah that's right tony ortiz is saying that benjamin franklin was a pretty good writer (laughs) um yeah i thought that was funny so check that out it's in the episode notes guys lastly the book that i recently read or listened to uh, like i told you guys via audible um which for anyone that doesn't like reading which i fully admit to not before back in the day like like i used to hate reading uh it's not something i used to like to do um until i actually started doing it but i would go fucking months and months and months without like reading anything but then if i started reading something i would get like into it like engulfed in it kind of um but i couldn't get myself to do it um anybody that is still like that i highly recommend audible like i told you guys in the beginning um it's pretty it's pretty dope and you get through things fairly quickly you know books are like six seven eight nine hours long uh depending on like the size of of them like this one i think was like six to seven hours and it's like a 200 something page book and it's chock full of really useful information you can listen to it as many times as you want bookmark stuff fucking ad notes and i uh highly recommend it um if you guys don't want to go that deep into it there's uh, two other things that you can do which is uh check out carol dweck's and dweck is spelled d-w-e-c-k carol c-a-r-o-l uh she has a ted talk where she speaks about uh her book mindset which is uh uh this book that that i'm referring to right now and also a pdf which um i'm gonna introduce to you guys in a bit uh, about the the growth mindset versus a fixed mindset 
which is very, very like well done and and beautiful synopsis of the actual book and and pretty much like gets to the core of the entire thing. And it's like a a two page PDF, and uh, it's I also have a link to it in the episode notes. If you guys again, if you guys don't want to go as far as reading the actual book or or checking out the TED Talk, which I also recommend, definitely at the very least check out the the mindset PDF. Which again is in the episode notes. And for those of you that do not uh, fuck with like podcasts too much, maybe you can either one go on my website where I have like all the links there under the podcast um, section of the website. Look up the episode and then like all the episode notes are there, and you could just click the links and you're right there on the computer or whatever on your phone, tablet. Um, but right now, like wherever you're listening to the podcast, you have something called episode notes. So if you click like view more or like on the iPhone, for example, it's like that little eye information, um, icon on the right side of every podcast, uh, you could click that and then you'll get like a drop down list and you can click view description. And then in there, all the hyperlinks, which I added to the episode notes are in there where you could just like click on them and you know, it'll open up in your browser on your phone. So you don't have to do too much work. You don't have to copy and paste it or, or anything like that. Anyway, back to mindset. Carol Dweck, like I said, is a, is the world's leading researcher in the field of motivation and is a professor of psychology at Stanford university. What resonates most with me Uh, about this book is that is kind of like the ability to take ownership of your abilities if you will and realizing that your conscious effort towards a specific situation has a direct correlation on the outcome of it and it's not to say, you know, if you give your all, you know, you get everything you want, because uh, obviously it's not the case. But you do have to be in it to win it. You could kind of defeat yourself before you have a chance to even try something just by the way you approach or or think about a situation. I love books like this and ideas like this because they, at the very least help you begin to think about things in a different way that you otherwise wouldn't have so i'm gonna give you guys the the gist of the of the book which again is very perfectly uh, summarized in the pdf and which is its own standalone thing and that's pretty much what i'm going to read from now so you have a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset and she put together this pdf and you have one two three four five categories in each of either the fixed mindset and the growth mindset a person with a fixed mindset to give you an example are people who hold these beliefs and think that they are the way they are and that's it you know they're born with certain uh, traits and attributes and, you know, they're dumb at math or 
they're they have a good head for science or and like they have that fixed mindset like it's a finite thing that they're drawing from and versus a growth mindset which is people who hold uh, the growth mindset believe that intelligence can be developed and that the brain is like a muscle that can be trained which i couldn't agree i couldn't agree with more and you know there's countless examples throughout this book and also books like like um robert green's mastery where you know he goes through and you know malcolm gladwell also uh, writes a lot about this and books like blink and and the outliers and he pretty much like popularized the uh he didn't come up with it but he popularized the uh 10,000 hour rule and it's pretty much a practical breakdown of how it's not just talent and you're not just it's not just some people are born with it some people aren't it's about how Michael Jordan wouldn't be Michael Jordan uh with just his talent if he didn't put in the countless hours of hard work Beethoven wouldn't have been Beethoven if he didn't go through years and years I think he he was composing and writing music I think for like 10 years or 15 years before he did anything that was remotely good supposedly because he started like when he was like five and he was like super into it and it wasn't until his 20s where he actually got like a claim for it but you can't discount that time in between that shit that got you there same can be said about like any of the greats, you know, pick one, Leonardo da Vinci, fucking Freddie Roach, um, uh, Robert Greene speaks about and mastery, how he was like a degenerate washed up, uh, boxer that was, uh, an alcoholic and working at a call center and, uh, turned his, got his shit together, turned things around and became one of the best, arguably one of the best coaches in boxing history. It wasn't because, you know, he was special and that's what, you know, he was destined and supposed to do. You know, he could have very well not done that and just stayed drinking and, and, and fucked up his life. Do you have to have some level of talent? Sure. Um, but that's not any more a part of the equation than the hard work and dedication that you have to put into things, in my opinion. And getting back to uh mindset uh book and this pdf specifically uh carol dweck illustrates uh these five different uh points and how a fixed mindset views something versus a growth mindset and from there you start or at least i started um internalizing certain things and saying you know wondering how i look at certain situations uh, within these like five categories and you work you know once you're aware of, of of things you can consciously tweak them and say oh shit this is you know normally i would look at this like this but if i uh apply this uh growth type of mindset versus a fixed type of mindset i could potentially change the outcome of that i would otherwise have and just to give you guys a better understanding, you know, definitely look at the PDF, but I'll give you guys like one or two of the points. For example, with a fixed mindset and challenges, which is one of the categories specifically, a fixed mindset avoids challenges or a fixed mindset individual rather avoids challenges. 
And it says here, by definition, a challenge is hard and success is not, excuse me, is not assured. So rather than risk falling and negatively impacting their self-image, they will often avoid challenges and stick to what they know they can do well. Versus a person with a growth mindset who embraces challenges because they see the challenges as a vehicle for improvement and they embrace those challenges because they know that they'll come out stronger on the other side. Then, you know, she goes into other categories like effort and people with a fixed mindset tend to see effort as fruitless or worse. And people with a gross uh, growth mindset see effort as a path to mastery. Uh, she goes into criticism where people with a fixed mindset ignore useful negative feedback and people uh, with a growth mindset tend to learn from criticism and they use that negative feedback as sources of information that they could then use to tweak and improve and grow their abilities. So yeah, I highly recommend the book it was pretty insightful and like i said at the very least just check out the pdf it'll take you five minutes tops to read the entire thing and um it uh could yield some positive benefits for you in your life and if it doesn't then you just wasted five minutes but if it does you have something invaluable for life that just took you five minutes to get so why the fuck not give it a shot and that's it folks that's the episode for the week uh father's day is coming up on sunday this sunday coming up so happy father's day to any uh spun today listeners out there that are fathers and uh, i appreciate you even if your kids do not you know what i decided to try and you guys let me know what you think um i don't i don't play like intro and outro music or you know um aside from like the little spun today jingle music type of thing to bring us in and out of the show um but i decided to play some actual music um something that i've been listening to lately or uh that i just feel like like uh putting on the podcast in the background of the outro section where i do like all the like plugs and shit like that just to make it a little bit more bearable and um not as dry and just uh whatever i felt like trying it out so let me know what you guys think about it i'll probably drop it in after i finish recording this so for your enjoyment um and it's not like an original idea i don't want to like act like i'm taking credit for that like i had some sort of fucking epiphany um because there's plenty of podcasts i listen to uh, like Ari's podcast or EMA radio and stuff like that they play um, music throughout their their podcast and like in the background of uh, some of the segments of their podcast and stuff like that so I decided to try it at uh, during this section during the outro so like I said guys let me try to get through this uh, fairly quickly to let you go fill out the questionnaire located at spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire it's five questions pretty much about creativity and anything creative that you might be into like writing or painting or anything like that 
and uh, you will be featured in a future episode of the Sponsor Day podcast. Uh, check out the uh, there's a link in the episode notes. Uh, if you want a direct link to it, if not, just go to sponsorday.com forward slash questionnaire. You can remain anonymous if you choose to, or uh, just put your name in there, and I'll give you a shout out when I read your responses to the questions in a future episode of the podcast. Also, if you like the photos on my website that I have there for free, I fancy myself a, a subpar mediocre, at best amateur photographer and um i put a bunch of pictures up which are available for free if you guys want to check them out either on my facebook page uh, facebook.com forward slash spun today my instagram at spun today or at spun today.com forward slash photography if you happen to love 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 any of those pictures or any of that photography you can go to created c-r-a-t-e-d dot com forward slash spun today and you can actually order prints and posters and stuff like that of any of that photography you can support the podcast financially by not having to pull out one red cent from your pocket but some red cents will show up in my pocket and i'll tell you how go to spuntoday.com forward slash affiliate links and click on my amazon banner or my itunes banner or the paypal donation banner and by doing so for example if you click on the amazon banner it pretty much just takes you to amazon's website not pretty much it just takes you to amazon's website where you do your shopping like you normally do and then what happens is that Amazon sends me a couple pennies on the dollar for your purchase from their cut of your purchase just for driving traffic to the website. And by doing so, you support the Sponsor Day podcast financially without it costing you anything extra. And I would really appreciate that. Why not? It's a couple extra clicks, right? Don't be a douchebag. After the countless hours of entertainment that you get from here. Come on, guy. Um... Next, rate and review the podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Pocket Casts, on Google Play, which we're now on. Check it out. Um, and on any of your favorite podcatchers. Bottom line is that podcasts gain in popularity by uh, them being great. You know, obviously share it with your friends and family um, and coworkers and shit like that. But mainly... It gains in popularity by the ratings that it has on all of these uh, websites or podcatchers like iTunes and Stitcher and stuff like that. So rate and review the podcast. I would appreciate that very much. Subscribe to the YouTube page, which what I, I would also appreciate very much. Feel free to add comments to any videos or episodes uh, that are that are on the uh, YouTube page. I will respond to them or to you rather if you want to get some conversation going hit me up on Twitter as well at spun today on Twitter and what else two more things make way for you my very first book is published and waiting for you uh, it is a book of pretty much motivational and inspirational 
shit that I wrote pretty much for myself that got me to get off my ass and write the book. <laughs> and it's individual pep talks, if you will. Uh, like 72 or 78 of them. I don't remember exactly uh, the number. And they, you know, it's available in ebook format on Amazon um, or paperback uh, through Amazon as well. And you can, you know, just search Make Way for You tips for getting out of your own way on Amazon. Or just go to my website, sponsor.com forward slash books, where you can click on it there. It'll take you to Amazon's page and uh, you can do your purchasing from there. If you do not have the what is it, $2.99 to spend on the book, uh, then you don't. And I feel you. So I got you. Uh, just drop in your email address at the bottom of that page, sponsor.com forward slash books. And I'll send you a full free copy of it uh, via email. It'll be a PDF in PDF format, but you'll have the complete book, not just like a sample or anything like that. It is the full actual book. All I ask is that when you can, you do rate and review it on either Amazon or Goodreads, which I would appreciate. Lastly, subscribe to my Midday Monday Boost Letter, where I send out a newsletter every Monday at noon, letting you know what my favorite podcast of the week is, a my favorite photograph of the week, my favorite quote of the week, my favorite word of the week, and my favorite video of the week. Uh, just to give you a little Midday Monday Boost, hence the name. So check that out at sponsoray.com forward slash subscribe. And that's it, folks. As always substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. <laughs>